You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Mark's kind of the beginning of a whole new season for North Valley. Um, I'm calling it the build-up phase. We made it through the startup. Now we're in the build-up. So this year, I've dedicated a tremendous amount of energy, effort, and resources to ensure my primary responsibility this year is to help do two things. Number one... It's to develop the ministries that we have in the church, and then as well to help develop the campus. So we bought a fixer-upper, and so we've got to fix this place up. You know that. Um, So with that being said, I said, hey, one of the things we're going to do different this year is I'm going to get a teaching team engaged in the church. Um, And my heart and hope has always been at North Valley is to give you some of the brightest and the smartest gifted people uh, to serve in areas of influence. And so I went for a long shot. And so I got a couple of guys that are going to help me teach this year. I'll be the primary teacher. I'll teach probably 36 times out of the year. Um, You multiply that two, that's two services. And if we go to three, then that's three services. But I'm going to offload the teaching, and we're going to give me some room to run and give some leadership to other areas in the church. So one of the first guys that we've got joining our team is Bob Lehman. Bob has uh, been the senior pastor of AZ Hills. Uh, he and his wife, Janet, are here this morning, and he's agreed to join our teaching team here at North Valley, and he's done a phenomenal job. And so can, let's just celebrate Bob just for a moment. Yeah. And then the other guy went for a long shot. I just got an email the other day from Phoenix Seminary, and uh, Pastor Daryl said, hey, I'm retiring. I'm not going to be the president of Phoenix Seminary. And so I thought, huh, I'll give him a phone call. So I said, hey, Pastor Darrell, why don't you join our teaching team? And within seconds, he said, sure, I'll join your team, Ryan. So Pastor Darrell is going to join our teaching team as well. So, hey, this morning, it's my honor and my privilege. Uh, He's given me room for life. Uh, Pastor Bob, would you welcome him to the stage this morning? Good friend, great Bible teacher. Thank you so much. And you're Thank teaching you, on stress and worry. I am. And you're reducing the stress and worry in my life. Oh, great. I'm glad. <laughs> Thank you, you so just, much. You just added to mine. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, I'll tell you what, I'm just so, uh, so pleased to, uh, uh, to be part of the teaching team and probably just, you know, not often, you know, every five or six weeks or something like that, just to kind of give uh, uh, Pastor Ryan a, a bit of a, of a, of a break, but uh, I'm so grateful to come back. I, I don't know why. I, you've, you've invited me back a whole bunch of times and uh, haven't thrown me out, so I'm, I'm just so pleased to be here. And I'm especially pleased to, to talk today on what we're going to talk about. Um, in fact, I'll give you a little bit. This is very personal today, uh, probably more than any of the other messages that I've shared. It's very personal on, on a whole lot of different levels, but just a, a little bit of a, of a story. Three years ago, I lost it. Honestly, I, I really I didn't kick the dog. I didn't it wasn't a moral failure. There, you know, all, all those kind of things. But I I experienced a huge weight of anxiety and depression and stress. And most people didn't know it because I'm pretty good at masking it, like all of us are. Um, I masked it from everybody except my wife, uh, who knew me so well, and I had a chance to kind of offload on her, but it was getting so I could not really even function anymore. It affected uh, ministry, it affected my relationships and friendships and so on. And here's the deal, guys, come here. Here's the deal. When you're a pastor, 
You're the shell answer man. You, you're supposed to know it all. And for goodness sakes, you know, it says in the Bible, you know, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God will surpass all understanding. I know it. I've quoted it. I've used it and I believe it. But what happens when you find yourself in a place where you wake up at 3.30 in the morning and all you're thinking about is that conversation that you've got to have with someone or, or the, you know, where's the money going to be, you know, come in this week, you know, and, and, and all of a sudden it began to close in on me. So when Pastor Ryan, you know, talked about fixer-upper, I said, whoa, is there anything in this area of worry and anxiety and stress that I might be able to speak to? Because fortunately, our church sent us out to Dallas, Texas, and we found a guy that helped me navigate. And because of that, I can really navigate. And, and as a matter of fact, Janet and I are in a new ministry now to help pastors around the country that find themselves in difficulty and stress and excess, and we kind of help navigate that. We have a ministry, we call it Mission Recharge. I like that. We were going to call it Mission Reboot, you know, but Mission Recharge, I just, I just really like that. So today, what I want to do is take a look at what Jesus has to say about stress, what did Jesus have to say about anxiety and, uh, anxiety and depression. Now, please Listen to the next thing I'm going to say. These principles that we're going to unpack today will help you, guaranteed. And in fact, if you embrace several of these, you will not be the same. I'm telling you out of life experience, it's true. But anxiety and depression and stress is no quick fix because all of us in this room are broken on one level or another. But what this is today for you may be a starting point. This may be for you this, this internal thing that says, ha, ah, finally, somebody who gets me, somebody who really understands that I am so stressed out, I'm so anxious, and I'm so depressed that I'm on the precipice of making a bonehead decision. Frankly, Janet and I are kind of tired of pastors making the headlines for the wrong reasons because of anxiety, depression, stress, you name it. And then they make a bonehead decision. Sometimes it's a moral failure, but unfortunately, sometimes it even ends up acting out in suicide. I'm just saying, guys, this is real. And this is one of those messages that every one of us either knows someone or personally we're going through it right now. Let me tell you, Charles Haddon Spurgeon is one of my heroes, 19th century English communicator. He probably poured more people into ministry than anybody else in, in, in record. This is what he said. He said, and, and, I, and I love this, he said, anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows. It only empties today of its strength. Boy, does he know what he's talking about. You know, Jesus Believe it or not, in, he faced incredible stress. It wasn't anxiety and depression. I mean, he's, he's God in the flesh. Come on. But 
listen, he was under amazing pressure. He, had, he was misunderstood. He was criticized. Uh, he rarely had time alone. He, he handled enormous amount of stress. And yet, if you look at his life, it's marked by this calmness, this sense of, of balance in every aspect of his life. Nobody could really hassle him. Nobody could really ruffle his feathers. He was never in a hurry. It was absolutely amazing. So let's look at what Jesus' secret really is. And, and, and I think that we'll find these principles are ones that you can really take home and, 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 and use. Let me say one more thing. The last couple of times when I was here, I mentioned this. And I just want to reemphasize it. And most of the time when I teach, I'll emphasize this. We are in a society and in church world where we hear sermons all the time. You don't just listen to Pastor Ryan. You don't just listen to Pastor Daryl or me or, or whoever you know your favorite is. You're, you're online. You're listening to people. Maybe you're in the Word every day and you're studying and so on. Maybe you're listening to a podcast and so on. And in a given week, you're listening to 20 different good messages and the problem is we get overloaded, so when we come here on Sunday, we kind of check out a little bit. So, this is my encouragement to you. Don't remember all of this. Don't. Don't remember all of Pastor Ryan's messages. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. But I think God has you here for, for a moment. And there may be one or two or three things that says, that's the reason I was here today. And that's the one to take to the bank. So let's look at these secrets that Jesus, I think, really lived out in order to really for you and I to be a fixer-upper in our own life. Are you ready for it? Here we go. Number one, number one principle for, for, for you and I to ease the anxiety and, and so on is found here. Know who you are. You want to relieve the stress in your life, know who you are. Let me give you a little history of John chapter 13 before we look at the passage. In John chapter 13, we have Jesus, and he's doing these amazing things. That's the passage where he's washing the disciples' feet. That's the passage where he institutes the Lord's Supper. That's the passage that literally he is hours away from going to the cross and dying for your sins and for my sins. I mean, this is, this is huge. He's hours away from all of this happening. And in John chapter 13, verse 3, look at what he says. He says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Jesus had no self-doubts. He knew who he was. He knew where he came from. He knew where he was going. Did you know that 18 times in the New Testament, 18 times, count it up, Jesus defines himself for other people. 18 times. He says, I'm the bread of life. He says, I'm the good shepherd. He says, I'm the door. He says, I am the truth. He says, I am the life. He says, I'm the son of God. Eight times he defines himself there's no doubt about it so this first principle is huge because if you don't know who you are other people are going to decide who you are and that raises the level of anxiety in your life they begin to pressure you into what you 
or what they think you ought to be. They will try to conform you. Stress and anxiety come from trying to be somebody that you are not for the sake of somebody else, for the sake of a boyfriend, for the sake of a girlfriend, for the sake of a spouse, for the sake of an employer. Guys, just think about this kind of thing. There's this idea that we tend to pretend who we are. Now, I want to give you a visual picture here, okay? If on this side of the stage right here, this is who you really, really are. But over here is who you pretend to be for the sake of other people. Listen. The distance between those two things is the anxiety that it brings. The farther apart this thing is, the higher your worry late the higher your anxiety, the more apt you are to become depressed and stressed out. It just is. You know, there's a book came out. Oh, it's been several years ago now. And this is the title of the book. I just love the title of the book. If I'm so successful, why do I feel like a fake? <laughs> it's a great book. You know, it's a, actually a really, really quick read here and stuff. But it's talking about business people who are so driven and so overworked and so stressed to perform to prove themselves to somebody else. That's what that book is about. And some of us in this room, I, I just know it, some of us in the, are trying to prove ourselves, are trying to pretend that we're somebody that we're not. Now, here we go. How do you know who you are? Jesus did. He knew who he was. Are you ready? Here we go. This is the principle. This is the take home. You become comfortable with who you are by knowing whose you are. That's the key. You become comfortable with who you are by knowing whose you are. It is my belief that many, many people, especially young people, get sideways in this area because they've never really understood their identity. And for those who know Jesus Christ, their identity in Christ is the biggest factor. People tend to identify themselves with all sorts of bonehead things. Gender identification. Really? You know, you know, believe me, career identity. So many problems occur because people just don't know who they are. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your identity is first and foremost found in the person of Jesus Christ. But you say, I'm a teacher. No, that's what you do. Hey, I, I, I'm a parent. That's the role that you have. Your identity is rock solid found in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the key. By the way, if you embrace that, oh, this gets good. Then if I like me and who I am, and God likes me and who I am, and you don't like me, then that's your problem, not my problem. And all of a sudden, Let me give you number two. Number two is, <laughs> like, know who you're trying to please. 
You want to reduce the anxiety, stress. You want to really take this bod, your personhood, and fix it up the way God intended it. Then you got to know who you're trying to please. In John chapter 5, verse 30, I love this. Jesus is talking and he says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. Now listen to this. Because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Isn't that beautiful? Principle one, know who you are. But principle two, know who it is that you're trying to please. Now this is a settled issue for Jesus. You know, he dedicated his whole entire life to pleasing the Father. And in fact, do you remember this? At one point in his baptism, okay, here it is. Jesus is being baptized by John the Baptist. And, you know, you got, you got the crowd around and stuff. And, and, and by the way, I believe this was one of the high points of Jesus' life, okay? The reason I say that is because all three uh, persons of the Trinity show up. Okay, they, they show up. So here's Jesus being baptized, okay? The Holy Spirit descends like a dove, right? And then the Father says something. He says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. I mean, whoa! We're together. The band's together again right there at the baptism. What a great, great picture that is. But I want to tell you something about this idea of being ple- pleasing someone, okay? Isn't that be- beautiful? The Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now, let me give you a little you know, Greek school here today. This is really interesting. The word for pleased is a Greek word, uh, arestos, okay? Arestos, and that means pleased, okay? But when you put the little you know, prefix in front of it, it becomes you arestos, okay? You arestos, and you arestos means well pleased, Now, that's just a little tiny difference, but listen to the difference in the word, okay, and what it means. If if Pastor Ryan gave me a pencil, here, Bob, I want to just give you this, thank you very much. (laughs) I've got to say this now. I I would be arrestos. I would be pleased. Thanks, Ryan. Awesome. However, if he gave me a brand new Maserati, I would be you arrest us. I would be well pleased. The difference between those two words is enormous. And so when God the Father says, this is my beloved son in whom I am, what? Well pleased. This gives you this, wow, now I understand this. Well, here's the deal. The fact is, you can't please everybody. You just can't. One person wants rain, one person wants sunshine, one person likes the diamondbacks, and then there's communists who don't like the diamondbacks. And so, you know, you can't please everybody. Only a fool would try to do what even God can't do. Think about that. Know who you are and know who you're trying to please. In Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25, when I was going through this dark sojourn three years ago, this became one of the key verses in my life. I love the first part of it because it says, the fear of man is a snare. Afraid of whether you're going to like me or not can be a snare. It can do you in. You know, it, it, you know, while I was pastoring, 
And I enjoy pastoring. It's just amazing. But I guarantee you, after every Saturday or Sunday morning, you know, after, after, after preaching, Monday would come, and I would get emails or even phone calls. And some of them were just delightful. And some of them... Let me go on. Um, <laughs> because one would tell you what's wrong with either what I said or wrong with the church. And two or three of them would say, what's right with the church and what's right with me? And I'll tell you what, when you start to live your life trying to please somebody that ultimately you will never be able to please will raise the anxiety and stress in your life to monumental proportions. It just does. Here's the thing. The thing about Jesus is he never let the approval or the rejection of others manipulate him. He never did. Whether they thought, Jesus, you're my guy, or whether, Jesus, I don't like you, he never let that change him. You see, this rests on a fallacy that says, if, if somehow, in some way, you know, uh, everybody likes me and everybody approves of me, then I'll be happy. But that's just not true. This becomes the issue of peer pressure. And we talk about peer pressure with our kids, don't we? You know, don't let, you know, don't go along with the crowd, you know, don't let those guys, you know, make you feel bad. Okay, parent, okay, adult, why don't we live out what we say to our kids? Because we are as affected by peer pressure as they are. The difference is they usually let you know it, and you and I internalize it. Peer pressure is the real deal, and it'll do you in. Not even in my notes, but I just got to tell you this story. One of my favorite Old Testament books is, is the book of Esther. You know, like Esther? Oh, it's so cool. I mean, this would be a great drama, great play on any level. Four primary, you know, uh, characters. There's the king, and there's the queen who happens to be you know, Jewish and kind of nobody knows it, you know, that kind of thing. And then there's a guy named Haman who was like the prime minister. And then there's a guy named Mordecai. And Mordecai is related, kind of an uncle, to, to the queen. So here's the story. Haman is this really bad dude. And the king says to him, hey, Haman, I'm going to do something for you. What do you want? And Haman says, you know what I want? I want everybody to bow down to me when I walk by. And the king, being kind of a dupe, says, okay, sounds okay to me. And that's what happens. Now, he didn't receive the approval and the accolades because he was a great military ruler. He didn't do it because he, he just saved the nation. He didn't do it for any... He just wanted it. And I love this. So as he walked through the towns and the country and everything, whenever he walked by, everybody bowed down. Except for Mordecai. Oh, I love that dude. Don't you want to just hang out with him in heaven? You know, Mordecai, he said, I wouldn't, I'm not going to do it. God wouldn't have me do that. And the great story, <clears throat> we don't have time to go into it here. The great story is Mordecai standing up when everybody else kneeled down is what eventually did Haman in. 
if I ever write a book, another book, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to call it Leadership from the Back Row. And I'm going to write about Mordecai because he's a guy who started here and ended here. And Haman, who started here and he ended here. Trying to have everybody's approval will do you in. It's impossible to do. Let me give you a third one. Know what you want to accomplish. You want to reduce some of the stress and anxiety and and, and even depression in your life. Can I just suggest that you figure out what you you believe you need to accomplish and you want to accomplish? Uh, John chapter 8 is wonderful. And John 8... Uh, Verse 14 says, Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself and my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. We Take this other verse, Luke chapter 19, verse 10. We'll put them together. For the Son of Man, Jesus is talking, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Principle number one, know who you are. Principle number two, know who you're trying to please. But number three is know what you're trying or what you want to accomplish. And it's very clear in Jesus' mind. He knew exactly what he wanted to accomplish. And by the way, if you don't know where you're headed, how are you going to know when you finally get there? You've got to determine some direction in your life, some purpose, some goals, some priorities, some plans. And so maybe your takeaway from this message is, you know, tomorrow's President's Day and I'm a teacher or something and I I, I don't have to be at work. And and if you're married, you just say, hey, you know, let's get away and let's kind of map out what we believe God might be doing in our lives over these next five years, ten years. It's a powerful thing to do that. You start developing some plans. If you say to me, Bob, I don't have any goals, I can tell you one thing absolutely unequivocally. You're under stress. If you tell me you have no goals, I am guaranteeing you that you have some level of stress. Why is that? Because we will always live either by priorities or by pressures. Always. And it just makes sense that if I want to relieve the pressure side, I've got to focus on the priority side. One or the order, one or the other. We decide what's important, or other people will decide what's important for us. By the way, do you ever come to the end of the day and you are just so dead tired? Or you think to yourself, what did I accomplish today? And there's that gnawing in the back of your mind, I didn't do anything anything. I didn't do anything today. That is a very frustrating feeling. You know, business is not always productivity. I get that, okay? But when you feel like you're spinning your wheels and you're getting nowhere, the stress and anxiety level will begin to go up. Now, I'm going to give you a confession here. This is Bob confession time. By nature... You don't know me very well, but I bet some of you already know this. By nature, I am very impulsive. I mean, I'm, I am the guy that wants to buy the stuff at the cash register, you know, where they put all this high-priced stuff at the cash. That's me. You know, I, I need to have that, honey. Please. I've, I've always wanted a yo-yo, and I, you know, whatever it is, you know. And, and, and I'm that, you know, by nature that way. You know, and I get bored 
very easily. Anybody like that? Seriously. Anybody like, oh, you liars, all of you. Yeah, you know, and, and the variety is the spice of life for me, you know, and, and I hate to plan. It's not my nature and all those kind of things. It, it's true. Um, <laughs> but I have an amazing wife. That's called emphasis by being silent. <laughs> I have an amazing wife and I have amazing friends and they help me plan. They've helped me articulate what is it that we really need to accomplish. If you don't have somebody like that, I can rent her out to you, <laughs> but better yet, Start surrounding yourself and rubbing shoulders with people who will do that for you and help you through that. You see, preparation prevents pressure. Procrastination produces it. It just does. Let me give you number four. I usually only have about three points, and I got so many this time, so I'm running through this. And number four, focus on one thing at a time. You want to reduce the anxiety? You want to reduce the pressure? <clears throat> Focus on just one thing at a time. Jesus had just finished reading in the synagogue from a scroll out of Isaiah, and it's a prophecy out of Isaiah. And he had just finished that, and everybody was just going, you know, whoa, because the last thing he said is, today this prophecy is fulfilled in my reading of this, okay? Immediately after that, Luke chapter 4, verses 42 through 44, says this. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Now, let me give you the picture from that passage. Here's the picture. Jesus goes to this town. <clears throat> he, he fulfills this passage of Scripture in Isaiah, just tremendous. They like him so much, they say to him, why don't you just stay here? We'll set up a condo. You can stay in my fifth wheel. You can do whatever it is. And he says, I can't do that. They tried to interrupt his general plan, his organization. He said, no, I'm sorry. I've got to keep on going. I've got to keep on preaching. And here's the deal. He focused on what he was doing, one thing at a time. And Jesus was a master of that. As a result, he was never in a hurry. Never. He kept right on doing what was the most important thing. And that's so true. One of the amazing things about Jesus, <clears throat> pardon me, is he never allowed interruptions to ruin his overall plan and purpose. This is so, so true. Your life, my life, is diffused sometimes. We feel ineffective. We feel like we're spinning so many plates. But it was Paul who said, this one thing I do. It's probably one of the most powerful statements that Paul makes. He says this one thing I do. He doesn't say, these 40 things I dabble in. He doesn't go that way. He's focused, and it's the key. And I think that you just came from a great couples 
you know, time here, which is just amazing. I'm just envious. When I, Janet and I should have come, you know, to that. This is, this is really wonderful. But you want a great key to a successful marriage? Two words. Be present. Be present. I'm working on it. Unfortunately, this keeps me from being present in my wife's life sometimes. And it may with you as well. Be present. One key to a great, great matter. Number five. Ready? Number five is don't do everything yourself. Don't do everything yourself. Mark chapter 3, verse 14 is, is repeated in the rest of the Gospels because this is the calling of the, of the apostles, the calling of the 12 disciples. But in Mark chapter 3, verse 14, it says, He appointed 12, and then it says, gives a reason, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. See, I love the way Mark outlines this. He does it differently than the rest of the gospel writers. Jesus enlisted. He trained 12 other people. He got them involved. He used them. He sent them. They preached. He came back and evaluated them. Here's the principle. Don't try to do everything yourself. We get all tense, all bent out of shape when we feel like everything depends on us. You know, we're, we're Charles Atlas holding up the, the world. Well, can I just be blunt? You're not that important. And neither am I. But we're a piece of a jigsaw puzzle that God wants us to put our peace right in the place that he has for us. Don't do everything yourself. And by the way, you know why we don't delegate and do a real good job of that? Most of the time it's two things. Perfectionism. I'm not going to have you do it because I can do it better than you can. Don't you think that Jesus could preach better than his 12 disciples? Then why in the world would he send them out? Because this was part of this idea, this, this thing of don't do everything yourself. If you want ministry to explode, you've got to pass the baton. By the way, I'm excited to be part of a teaching team. I really am. I think Ryan gets it. This church, you're seeing just the tip of the iceberg. I believe with all my heart We'll come back here. You know, we'll see this in a couple of years. And that back wall will be blown out of here. Because there's something exciting when you begin to delegate. And everybody's got a role. You know, Gordon MacDonald, uh, he preached for years and years at Grace Chapel in Lexington, Massachusetts. And... He had a lot of high power, you know, business people in his church and so on. And from time to time, he would go and have lunch with some of the CEOs and presidents of different organizations and that were part of his church. And he was there to meet with the CEO of a very large multinational corporation. The president was part of, the, of his church and he was waiting in the waiting room. And, he, and he, he thought, you know, I'm going to have a little fun while I'm waiting. He went up to the assistant who was there and said, uh, tell me what the vision of, of, of this organization is. 
And she, without thinking, just rattled out her, you know, her, her, you know, what the vision was, and then said, and my role in fulfilling that vision is this. He was amazed. He went out into the hallway, did it a couple more times. He even found a custodian and said, do you know what the vision of this uh, organization is? Same thing. He poured out this vision. He says, and my role in fulfilling that vision is this. Boy, that just... Don't try that in a church because you'll be disappointed. But we all need to know what it's about and delegate, even though you feel like you could probably do a better job. You could probably do a better job of cleaning the house. But because you love your kids... Okay, I won't go there. <laughs> I won't go there. Hey, there's a second reason, and that's insecurity. We're afraid that maybe if we have somebody do my job, they'll do a better job than I will. And we have this insecurity. You know my thought on that? My thought is, oh, yay. Yay. Do it much, much better and more profoundly. Okay, I've got three more points, and I've only got three minutes. So I'll have to come back. But one point that we can't get out of here with without talking about, and that's this next one. This next one was profound and made all the difference in Janet's and my life. Make a habit of personal prayer. Luke 5, 15 through 16, but now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities, but he would withdraw to a desolate place and pray. I'm a pastor, and you would think pastors are just really good at getting alone and praying. Uh-uh. Maybe some are. Ryan, maybe Ryan is. I don't know. But when I was back in counsel, counseling, the counselor asked me, when was the most exciting time in your Christian life? You know what I told him? When I first came to know Christ. I was in college up at NAU. I was voracious. I was studying the Word of God all the time, and I was memorizing, and look at this. And, and Janet had been a believer for a long time and stuff. And I, I'd, I'd come and I'd tell her, Hey, honey, I found John 3.16. I bet you've never seen that before. You know? And she said, Whoa, fantastic. She knew it all, all along. Tell me about it. She just encouraged it, and there was a voracious appetite. But sometimes when you get in the biz... You know that you want to communicate well at a high standard. So instead of looking at the word devotionally for your own soul, you tend to look at it sometimes and how are people going to respond to this message and what do I need to do here and all those kind of things, which is wonderful. You need to do that. But I had gotten away from that devotional depth. So I'm going to tell you something, and it's true. Three years ago, on February 1st, I made a commitment that I will never start a day without reading the Word and praying to Jesus. And I'm on a streak, and I haven't missed. And it's revolutionized my life, and what it's done is it's taken me back to my college days, and I'm so excited about Jesus all over again. 
Some of you are catastrophizers. I actually didn't make up that word. That's a real word. (laughs) But you so worry, you're so anxious, that you put in your scenario in your head the worst possible outcome of anything that's going to go on. People are going to leave. People aren't going to like me. People are this. People are that. The single greatest factor of turning that boat around is to go deep into God's word and make a commitment to say every day I'm going to start with him. I'd like you to pray with me right now. This is a true fixer-upper because I believe that people are going to leave here with a starting point that they haven't had before. Dear Jesus, thank you so much. This is a very personal message because it's one that I've struggled with internally. But you are such a great and gracious God. And you've given us such amazing, amazing support. So right now, it's in Jesus' name that I ask, I plead that each person here finds one of those areas, one of those principles, and makes application so that the anxiety, the worry, the stress, the depression might be taken down a notch or two so that we might live more effectively for Jesus. We'll be careful to give you the praise, the honor, and the thanksgiving. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.